All right. Good morning, Relentless Church. Man, excited to be here with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Raph, associate pastor here at Relentless. For those of you I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, uh, thank you for coming and choosing to worship with us today. Um, yeah, last week we kicked off this series called Be Last, okay, Be Last. And uh, it's uh, uh, really what we talked about was the fact that Jesus taught us that the key to success, the key to, to greatness, true greatness in the kingdom of God is to, is to be last. This whole series comes from a verse in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, where Jesus said, so the last will be first and the first shall be last. Uh, and remember what, what Jesus is saying is that in his kingdom, things work differently than they do in the world. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. The right? world says, be first. The world says, strive to be first. Do you get, get yours, right? Make everything about you. Worry about number one. That's the key to greatness in the world. That's the key to success. That's how you reach the top, right? That's, that's how you win. Jesus says, no, in the kingdom, kingdom of God, it's not like that. It's, 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 it's actually the opposite, okay? And the truth is, if you would just put God first and others ahead of yourself, right? If you would be last, that's, that's the key, okay? That's how you win in the long run. That's the key to greatness in the kingdom of God. And so today, we're going we're gonna to apply that uh, same principle to our relationships, okay? And, and so uh, here's how we're going to say it for the purposes of this message. Being last is the key to relationships, being last is the key to relationships. I can think of no relationship where this is uh, more true, more essential uh, than, than in uh, the relationship between parents and kids, okay? Um, almost by, by necessity, just by nature, uh, to be a parent is to be last to your kids, right? <laughs> From the moment they're born, whether it's changing diapers or, or feeding them or as they get older, right? Snack time 18 times a day <laughs> on top of the three meals a day. Uh, then it's, you know, driving them to, to this game or to that practice and your schedule is, is your personal schedule becomes second to their schedule and it's like, be last, be last, be last all day long with your kids. And the truth is, uh, 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 most parents do this willingly, do it joyfully because they love their kids, right? Because we believe that what scripture says uh, is true, that, that the children are a blessing, right? And so we do it because we love them and we do it uh, most times with joy. But, but if we're honest, right? If I'm, I'm being honest here today, be full transparent, sometimes it's not easy, right? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I don't want to be last, especially not to my kids, Okay, this week was one of those times. <laughs> okay, I, I, you know, I, I told first service, you know, I'm up here. God's this whole be lasting. God's been preaching it to me for months before I ever thought to bring it to you guys. And so he's been doing it in my heart and constantly reminding me. And sure enough, I said up here last week, be last is the key to greatness. Of course, you know, I go back into my life on Monday and, and everything's going to hit the fan, you know. Uh, but, but I'll just give you a snapshot. Wednesday, my wife, uh, she, has a, uh, she had to go to work. She had to go to Durham to show a couple houses. And so so, you know, I got the kids for the first half of the day before she comes in and we kind of swap out and then I, and I go to work. When I tell you that, it wasn't even, I didn't even have my coffee yet, right? Like didn't even get to breakfast time before we had, uh, well, I'll pause right there. Let me preface this, okay? I got five kids in case you don't know. They're nine, eight, two five-year-olds and a five-month-old, right? I'm going to protect the names. I'm going to keep, keep this anonymous so that we don't embarrass anyone. I'll just say this. It wasn't the baby, okay? It was not the five-month. That's all I'm going to say, all right? So Wednesday, didn't even get to breakfast yet. We had three potty accidents, okay? Number one and number two. All right, I got a, I go, one of my kids in the bathroom throws up all over the place, right? I'm, I'm knee deep in bodily fluids before I even had breakfast on Wednesday morning, right? To, I mean, mind you, 
that we got, they got a doctor's appointment that day, okay? Um, so I get them all cleaned up, take them to the doctor. A couple of kids need shots. Now, when I tell you, it, you, you, you would have thought someone had a mask on and a big old knife and was coming at these kids. Like, that's, that's the screaming bloody murder that was coming out of the doctor's office. And I'm like, bear hugging, right? And, and the, the doctor's, oh, that's sweet. I'm trying to talk. And I'm like, just get it done, doc. Just do it. Just do it. Let's get out of here. Come on. This is, this is crazy. So, I mean, just, just I'm, this is 10 a.m., right? Get home. We, I'm, I'm starting to make lunch. My, my wife is finally coming home to, to, to relieve me, but she's not quite there yet. We had, I must have broken up three fights, right? That got caught, caught two kids in a lie. Like, I'm just like, what is happening? So finally, my wife gets in. I couldn't get out of here fast. And I'm like, tag, you're it. I'm out. Like, this is, I was just, I couldn't, I could barely, it was all I could do to keep it together, okay? And here's the truth. I didn't even tell you this part. Last week I started, I'm doing 21 days of uh, prayer and fasting, which means I start my morning every day with an hour of just getting with the Lord, just praying and worshiping and all that, just to get my heart right. I did that on Wednesday morning. That's the only reason I even made it through. That's the only reason these kids made it through, okay? But even still to that point, it's not even lunchtime and I'm about to lose, lose my mind, right? Because it's not easy sometimes. It's not easy being last. And I don't want to pretend that it is. And I don't ever want to stand up here and be like, I got this figured out. And here, if you just do what I do, like I'm, I'm actively trying to work this out. I'm actively trying to, to live it. And, and it's hard and it's a process for all of us. But I'm convinced. I really am. I'm convinced. And that's why I'm striving to be last because I know it's the key. I know it's the key. Right? And I think this is true for our relationships, okay? Uh, we're going to look today specifically at three different kinds of relationships, our, uh, three different areas of our life where you can apply this principle, be last, and I really do think it'll change things for you. I think it's a game changer, okay? And so we're going to look at family, our friends, and significant others, okay? Family, friends, significant others. And you see, again, we're using this language, man, there's a key. Jesus came to give us the key, and so there's some locked doors up there, okay? I think Jesus wants to unlock those for us today. Um, we're going to talk a lot about marriage today uh, in a little bit. And, and whether you're married, single, anywhere in between, please understand this message is for everyone, okay? This is for everyone. And we're going to talk about them in that order, um, family, friends, marriage, because that's kind of the progression, right? I think we're born into a family, and those are our initial relationships. And then we start making our own friends, and we go out in the world and maybe start pursuing romantic relationships, start dating, and ultimately that leads to, to, to marriage. And so what we're going to do is look at some, some biblical truth today, some principles from God's Word that I believe will help you walk into the blessing that God has for you in, in these three areas of your life. And again, it all starts with being last. Being last, that's the key. Okay, bottom line today uh, that we're going to keep coming back to, uh, today's sacrifices lead to tomorrow's blessing. Today's sacrifices lead to tomorrow's blessing. There are some incredible blessings that God has for us behind these doors. I really do believe that for each and every one of you, okay? But a lot of people never get to access them. They never get to access the, 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 the blessing in their family. They never get to see it. They never get to experience the blessing in their friendships, they, they never get to receive the blessing in their marriage because they never picked up the key. They never picked up the key. And the reason they never picked up the key is because it looks like sacrifice. It looks like sacrifice. This whole idea of being last in your friendships, being last in your family, being last when you're dating or in your marriage, that looks too much like sacrifice. It feels too much like failure. Like I'm losing and they're winning. Like I'm giving up too much. Like someone is getting one over on me, right? Swallowing my pride is hard. It's hard and it doesn't feel good. It hurts, right? Again, it feels like I'm losing. It feels like sacrifice. And I don't want to sacrifice. 
But I came to tell somebody this morning, today's sacrifices lead to tomorrow's blessing. All right, please, please don't miss out on the blessing of tomorrow because you won't say yes to sacrifice today. The key to relationships is being last. Today's sacrifices lead to tomorrow's blessing. And again, I don't, I'm not just asking you to take my word for it. This is a biblical principle that we see play out all throughout scripture. And today we're going to look at three examples, okay? One for each of these kinds of relationships. So we'll start with family, all right? Now, when I say family, uh, I understand that family, that word in itself means different things to different people, right? I just even as I look across the room, we have blended families. We have uh, people who grew up in more of a traditional style family, right? We have people who grew up in single parent households, people who maybe were brought up by grandparents or uh, extended family. You grew up in a large family, or maybe you grew up in a small family. Uh, when you hear family, maybe you think a church family, right? And so it means different things to different people. Family is a broad term. That's okay. Again, we're speaking to everyone today. And so for everyone, regardless of your family situation, how, how much, uh, how great it is, or how much you would say it leaves to be desired, I just, I want to ask you, is there any, anybody here today who would say, I need some healing in my family? Is there anyone who would say, man, I need, I would like to see some more love in my family? Man, I would like to see some, some healthier relationships in my family. Is there anyone who would love to leave a legacy of Jesus in their family for their family? I think that's what God wants for us. I think that's what he offers us. Okay, but again, the door to those kind of relationships, that kind of legacy is locked. It's locked, and you don't have access unless you have the, the key, the key to godly living, the key to godly, loving, lasting, biblical family relationships is being last, is being last. And I can't think of a better example of that in Scripture than the story of Esther. Okay, if you're not familiar, familiar with the book of Esther, um, I recommend you checking it out. It's one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. We did a whole series on it, I think uh, last fall, sometime in October. So if you're interested, you can go on our website and maybe check out some of those messages. Today, we're just gonna kind of give you the cliff notes. I'm gonna kind of fly through it just to, uh, just to um, you know, get you the, the main idea. But, but again, if you don't know it, basically Esther uh, did not grow up in a, in a typical family. Okay, her, her mom and dad died when she was young. And, uh, and she was actually adopted by her first cousin, who was more like an uncle to her. His name was Mordecai. And so Mordecai raises Esther. Uh, you know, basically, he's her father figure. He's the only family she has. He raises her like his own daughter. Okay, ultimately, Esther grows out to be a beautiful young woman. And one day, she's, uh, she's nominated to be in what's basically like a, a beauty pageant for all the, all the women uh, in the land. Okay, and, and uh, the reason they're having this contest is to become the new king. Okay, the current king, I mean, excuse me the new queen. Uh, the king Xerxes is unhappy with his wife. He wants to uh, trade her in for a new model. And so he decides, I'm going to do a nationwide search. And, 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 uh, and, and so this is basically what happens. It's, hope, uh, the, the, uh, it's helpful to understand Esther was not, um, she didn't have a choice in this. She's told, hey, you're, you're going to be a part of this. You're going you're gonna to do this. Okay. And so um, sure enough, uh, they whittle it down. So a few girls left and, and Esther wins. She's the one that the king chooses to be the next uh, queen of Persia. Okay. Now, um, this is not a Disney fairy tale. Okay. This was not a pleasant experience for Esther at all. So don't hear me say that. Again, she was an orphan who was uh, basically um, was living in exile. She was taken captive against her will, and she was forced to have sex with the king. Okay. Now, ultimately, he, he chose her because she pleased him, uh, but, but there was nothing pleasant about this situation at, at all. Okay. Nonetheless, here she finds herself. She's now the queen of Persia. 
the queen of, of all the land. Um, she found favor with the king. She's now set for life, right? She goes from orphan girl to queen of the land. What a turn of events, right? Until, uh, until all of a sudden she gets word that this guy Haman, who was the number two to the king, okay, to her husband, the king, is number two in charge of all the land. He, he comes and, and basically he gets offended by her uncle Mordecai, who was a Jew. And he decides, I'm not just going to stick it to Mordecai. I'm going to get rid of all the Jews. He convinces the king to, to put a law in place that says basically genocide. We're going to wipe out all the Jews in the land. We're going to kill them all. The king's like, sure, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do it, right? He wasn't a very good king or an honorable man himself. He was very impressionable. And so he says, yeah, let's do this, okay? So now here's Esther. The king doesn't know, Haman doesn't know that Esther herself is a Jew, okay? Mordecai convinced her to keep her identity uh, a secret throughout this whole process. And so, so nobody knows that, right? So, so uh, Mordecai comes to Esther, sends word to her, hey, listen, this law was just passed. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill all of our people unless you step, and, step up and do something. I want you to go to the king and plead our case. Talk to him on our behalf, okay? And Esther is like, well, it's not quite that easy, right? There was also a law in place that said if she was just to even step foot in the king's presence without his invitation, she could be killed, okay? To say nothing of the fact is if she goes to him and says, hey, I lied to you. Uh, how we met wasn't exactly what you thought it was, and I need you to save me and my family and all these people, okay? And so she was scared, and she was uh, understandably so wasn't sure if she wanted to do this. And then we get from Mordecai, her uncle, uh, probably the best motivational speech in all of scripture where he tells her, what if you were put in this position for such a time as this? What if God brought you up from little orphan girl to queen of the land so you would be in this place right at this exact moment in time to step in and save your people? Okay, to save the people of God, the nation of Israel. What if you're here for such a time as this? Esther takes that to heart. And she, in fact, does go to see the king. And she tells him, she pleads their case. Hey, listen, here's what happened. I'm a Jew. Your man Haman's trying to kill us all. Can you help us? And the king, again, who, who, who uh, she had his favor, decides, yeah, you know what? I, didn't, I never liked Haman anyway. And so he decides to kill Haman. He lifts up Mordecai, makes him the new number two in the land, saves all the Jewish people, Esther's a hero, end of the story, beautiful story, God is good, amen, right? Here's the point. At the exact moment when everything in her life, her instincts, her circumstances, uh, common sense, the wisdom of the world, her own personal fears, which were very, like extremely valid, by the way, okay? When all these things dictated that she should put herself first, that she should protect herself, that she should look after herself, look out for number one, lift herself up. Esther took the opportunity to be last, to be last. Not only did she put Mordecai, her uncle's needs, uh, uh, and his well-being ahead of herself, but also that of the rest of the people. And because she did, it unlocked the door to blessing, both in her family and, and, and for her people for generations to come, for generations to come. Esther put God first her family second, and herself last. And because she was willing to sacrifice and do the hard thing in the moment, okay, her family and her people were ultimately blessed. Today's sacrifices lead to tomorrow's blessings. Let's look at it in the context of, of friendship. Okay, um, man, does anyone, would anyone say they have what you would consider a great friend? I have a great friend in their life. Um, man, I want that for you. More importantly than that, I think, I think that's something God wants for each of us, right? I'm talking about friends that you can be truly authentic with, friends that you can laugh with and that you can cry with, 
friends who will stick with you through, through anything, right? Thick, thick or thin, no matter what, they have your back. Ride or die friends. I like to call them tear the roof off type of friends, right? It's like Mark chapter two, when, when uh, there's a paralyzed man who, who his friends desperately wanted to get him an audience with Jesus because they knew he was healing people. They knew he was doing all these miracles and they thought he, this is the only chance he has. And so they come, they hear Jesus is speaking in this town and they show up and Jesus is in this house preaching, but they can't get close to him. The house is packed, the courtyard's packed. There's probably, you know, thousands people everywhere. They can't get close to Jesus. And so do they just turn around and say, no, nah, man, we tried. It just couldn't happen. No. Instead, they go around back. They climb up to the roof of the house. They, they, they get on top of the roof, which is made of like mud and straw. And they start ripping it apart, literally make a hole in this guy's roof. And they lower their friend down with a mat, okay, just so that he can get an audience with Jesus. And of course, Jesus blesses him and heals him and saves him. And it's this amazing story. But I just want to know, man, does anyone want to do life with those kind of friends? That's what, that's what I want in my life. That's the kind of blessing and friendship that I think God wants for, for each of us. But the door to that kind of friendship, the lasting kind, the biblical friendship that, that can withstand anything, that door is locked unless you have the key. Jesus wants to give it to you today. Okay, there's, a, there's an amazing story of friendship in uh, First and Second Samuel uh, between Jonathan and David. Okay, Jonathan was the eldest son of King Saul, okay, the first king of Israel. And Saul wasn't a good man. He wasn't a particularly good king. But his son, Jonathan, was different. Okay, Jonathan was a man of honor. He was incredibly brave. He was courageous. He was a man of God. And so he would have been an awesome candidate to become king. Okay, unfortunately, because of Saul's sins and because of his unfaithfulness, God uh, saw fit to remove Saul as king. But not only that, he wanted to remove the kingdom from his family line. And so he decided to, to anoint this little shepherd boy from Bethlehem named David instead to be the next king, okay? That's the crazy thing about this friendship. Jonathan and David should have been arch rivals. They should have been arch enemies, right? Because here's, here's David. Jonathan was next in line to be king, and now here comes David, this, this uh, little shepherd boy anointed king by God who's gonna take his place, take his rightful place as the next king of Israel. You would think they hated each other, but no. Instead, they become best friends, Okay, the best of friends. Uh, and this upset Jonathan's father, King Saul, to no end, to the point that he wanted to see David dead. He, he wanted to kill him. Okay, Jonathan wants to believe the best about his father. He loves his dad, but he also loves his friend. He's trying to do what's right. He wants to be a peacemaker. So he's like, here's what I'm going to do. I come, he comes up with a plan. David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have dinner with my dad. I'm going to plead your case. I'm going to talk to him on your behalf, and we'll know by his reaction. If, if, if he responds positively, if he says good things, we'll know you're safe. If he doesn't, if he badmouths you, then we'll know that, that, that your life's in danger and you need to go and flee and hide. Okay, and so that's what happens. Uh, Jonathan sits down to dinner with his father. He starts pleading David's case, and King Saul uh, immediately starts badmouthing David. He basically tells his son, Jonathan, don't you want to be king? Like, don't you want the throne and everything that comes with it? Okay, because if you do, guess what? David's got to go. David's got to go. We got to get rid of him. And in this moment, Jonathan has a choice, right? He can, he can partner with his father, the king, and, and say, yeah, I want the throne, right? I want the money. I want the power. I want the authority. I want the respect. I want the glory that comes along with being king. Or on the other hand, he could protect his friend David, okay? Jonathan chose friendship. He chose friendship. He put God first. He, he put his friend David second, and he gave up his opportunity to be king. And because of that, he essentially saved David's life, okay? Talk about sacrifice. Now, not long after that, Jonathan, his father Saul, and all of his brothers, 
end up getting killed in an invasion, a battle by the Philistine army. Okay, as a matter of fact, the only person in Jonathan's entire family who survived that invasion was his five-year-old son. Okay, um, not a very happy ending to an incredible story of friendship, is it? But hold on, because God's not done yet. Right, here comes the blessing. When David becomes king shortly after that, one of the first things he does is adopt Jonathan's son and, and raise him up as his own son. Okay, scripture tells us that he ate at the table of the king all the days of his life. Not only that, but he took everything that belonged to King Saul and Jonathan, all of their land, their property, their homes, all that stuff, and he had it put in the name of Jonathan's son as his rightful inheritance. Okay, so, so Jonathan's family continued to be blessed long after, after he was gone. Not only that, though, remember, God was doing a work to bring King David into play, right? To put King David on the throne. Because there was prophecy that said the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come from the line of King David. Okay, so, so God was working this thing out behind the, behind the scenes. But imagine if Jonathan had chosen to be first. If Jonathan had, had chosen, hey, you know what? I want to be king. He very well could have messed up the family line of Jesus, Okay, now, God would have found another way, right? I mean, you know, when God wants to do something, he's going to do it by any means necessary. But in that case, both men and their families would have missed out on the incredible blessing that happened in and through this friendship. Okay, blessings that only took place because one man said yes to being last. He said, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do the hard thing. I'm going to sacrifice, put my God first and my friend ahead of myself, and I'm going to be last. And because he was, he was blessed. And generations of people would continue to be blessed. Let's look at a significant other. Okay, whether you're married or for those of you who are dating or maybe you're single and not dating, it's important to understand that there is a picture of marriage in Scripture that is so beautiful. There is an example that is so special, so intimate, so fulfilling that it will exceed even your wildest dreams. We, God gives us that picture in scripture. And I think he wants you to know that relationship can be yours. God makes it available to each of us. But again, not without the key. Not without the key. The door to that kind of relationship, to that kind of marriage, that kind of beauty and that kind of intimacy is locked. Jesus came to give us the key, the key to greatness, the key to success, the key to relationships is be last. And the highest example of intimate relationship that we see in scripture, the blueprint that God gives us to follow when it comes to dating with respect to marriage is the relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. So we're going to look at that uh, quickly from Ephesians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're going to read it from the message translation just because I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson put it here. But uh, you can follow along. It's in verse 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ and he exercise, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. 
And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. And the church said, amen. That is the example that God holds up in his word as the pinnacle of relationship. The high point. And again, whether you're single, married, hoping to be married, or or anywhere in between, this is what we're striving for. This is what we're fighting for. This is what love looks like. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like being last. The essence of love is to be last. How do I know? Because that's the standard set by Jesus Christ himself. And I was, uh, had a conversation with my wife the other day. She asked me a question. Fellas, I don't know if you've ever been in this position where your wife asks you a question and you're about halfway into answering it when you realize I bit off a little bit more than I can chew, right? Like it wasn't quite, it wasn't a trap by any means, but it, was, it wasn't just a question either. And you don't realize that until you're like halfway through answering. Anyway, that's what happened to me the other day when my wife asked me, do you remember the first time you told me you love me? And I was like, yeah, of course I do. And I proceeded to tell her what I thought was the first time that I told her I loved you. She was like, no, that wasn't it at all. <laughs> like, she had a completely different account, you know? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm like racking my mind, and we're kind of going back and forth. And, and, uh, and we had a good laugh about it in the end, but I was like, man, how did I get that one wrong, you know? And as I'm thinking about just be last and, and, and this beautiful picture we get of Jesus and the church and what love really looks like and what it is, I mean, I can tell you that um, either of those times when I said it, I meant it. I believed I meant it. I believe what I was saying at the time. But the reality is, the truth is, I had no clue what I love you really meant. I thought I did, right? I had a vision. I know what the world means when it says I love you. I know what I love you means to the, the world, but I didn't have a real clear picture of what I love you really is. And how could I? I didn't know Jesus yet. I had yet to meet the author of love. So in my flesh, I was still loving the way that the world loves. And quite frankly, it was a superficial love. It was, a, it was a manipulative love. It was a me first, selfish, I want to win every argument. I care less about making peace than I do about making my point kind of love. I was prideful. I was insensitive. And then in the same breath, I turn around and say, I love you. And it wasn't until I committed and submitted every single part of my life and my heart to Jesus that he ultimately revealed to me what love really looks like, what true love is. Can I tell you something? I love you means I'm willing to be last to you. I love you equals I'm willing to be last to you. I'm willing to put your priorities, your feelings, your emotions, your desires, and most importantly, your well-being ahead of my own because that's what the word love means. Love, love means, man, I'm willing to be last in order to prioritize you. And again, the reason I know that to be true is because scripture says that's exactly what Jesus did for the church. 
He said, I love you. But it wasn't just lip service, it was life service. He literally laid down his life to put us first. And he says, this is how you love. This is what it looks like. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It wasn't because the church, it wasn't because the people of God were so good. It wasn't because we deserved it. How many of y'all can testify, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We're not worthy, but yet he pours it out anyway. But God, but God, Romans 5, 8, proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On my worst day, while I was actively turning my back on him, he saw fit to go to the cross for me and show his love. The Bible's full of people who did not deserve the love of God. People that betrayed Jesus, turned their backs on him, didn't believe that he was a son of God. People who ultimately denied him. Even some of his closest friends, we talked about some of them last week. Judas, who stabbed him in the back as Jesus was washing his feet. Peter would deny him three times before Jesus even went to the cross. And how did Jesus respond to that? How does he respond to us? By saying, I love you. I love you. I love you so much, in fact, that even when you don't love me back, I'm willing to be last to you. I'm willing to lay my life down for you. And that's exactly what he did. And what was the payoff? What was the blessing that resulted from Jesus' great sacrifice? Eternity. Eternity. For all those who would put their trust in him, their faith in him, Jesus has secured eternal life. That means we get to experience perfect communion relationship with God the Father the way it was always meant to be forever. Forever. That's what Jesus bought us. That's what his sacrifice secured for us. Today's sacrifices lead to tomorrow's blessing. And being last is the key to every relationship in your life, starting with your relationship with Jesus. I'm telling you, there is incredible blessing behind each and every one of these doors. There really is for every one of you but not until you pick up the key. Not until you commit your life and submit every part of your heart to Jesus. Put God first, then your your family, your friends, and your significant others ahead of yourself. Be last, be last, and then and only then will the sacrificial love of Jesus fill you up to the point of overflowing that now you can pour it out into all your other relationships. Now you can properly love your family and your friends and your significant others the way you were created to, the way you were meant to. One more, one more verse, John uh, chapter 15. We're gonna pick up. This is shortly after where we left off last week in John 13, just, just to re, re, uh, you know, reiterate it for you. It was the last supper. Jesus gets up from dinner, sits down, an amazing act of service and love and grace. And he, he washes all of the disciples' feet and says, this is, th- this is what love looks like. This is, it's sacrifice. This is, uh, it's, it's being a servant, right? This is what true greatness is in the kingdom of God. And then he proceeds for the next two chapters to just talk about love over and over again, he keeps hitting the same topic to his disciples. Like, this is what love is. This is what love looks like. If you you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll obey. If you love me, you do for each other what I've done for you. And that kind of comes to a head in John chapter 15 and verse 12. He looks to the disciples and says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
to lay down one's life for one's friends. He would go on to say, you are my friends if you do what I say. And again, this is moments before Jesus is going to go to the cross and ultimately give them the, the ultimate demonstration of his love. And he's saying, if this is how I want you all to do relationships, this is the kind of sacrifice, this is the way we love each other, this is how we put each other first, one another ahead of ourselves. What would it look like for you to live that way in your relationships? What would it look like for us as a church, Relentless Church, uh, for the people of God collectively to step into this and say, hey, this is how we're going to love people. This is how I'm going to do family. This is how I'm going to do friendship. This is how I'm going to do my marriage and my relationship. It's just practical for each and every one of you, right? This is between you and God, but how can you, how, what would this look like in your family this week? How could you bless your family by being last? So I'm telling you, so if you pick up this key, some of you, you're going to find healing. You're going to find power. You're going to find strength and, 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 and blessing on the other side of that door. But you got to pick up the key. You got to be last. How can you be last in your family this week? How can you be last in your friendships? What can you sacrifice? Is there forgiveness you can give someone? Is there, is there some time that you can give them? Is there somewhere where you can just show up for somebody? Is there an apology you need to give? Or some encouragement maybe you've been holding back? How can you commit to praying for them? Are you willing to make the decision today to be last in your friendships? That's where the blessing is. Significant others. Some of you in the room are single and you're not interested in dating. Others in the room are, are, are single and looking to date. Either way, that's cool. My question to you is this, what would it look like for you to prioritize Jesus in that? What would it look like? How can you be last for Jesus right now in your season, exactly where you are? Maybe you are dating, right? Some of you are in a relationship, quite frankly, that maybe you don't need to be in right now. Or, or maybe, maybe... Uh, being last for you in this season is rethinking that relationship or maybe setting some, some healthy boundaries, some godly boundaries until you get to a point where you can prioritize Jesus first and then your significant other ahead of yourself. Some of us are married. The best thing you can do today is go home and have an honest conversation with your spouse where you say, hey, you know what? I confess I've been putting myself first. I've not been being last to you. In fact, I've been looking out for myself. I've been putting me first. We haven't been, we haven't been being last for the Lord. We haven't been putting him first, and, we, and we've been putting ourselves first instead of each other. Let's commit right now to being last. How could that change our marriage? How could that change our relationship? How could that change our family? What kind of legacy would that leave for our kids? What kind of legacy would that leave for our church when we start to, 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 to do family and to do friendships and to do our relationships with our significant others the way that Jesus intended for us to do? Be last. Love one another the way I have loved you. I'm convinced, church, that if we could step into this, it's a game changer. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way, not just a blessing for our own relationships and for our church as a whole, but when we go out there into the world, it's going to look so radically different that it's going to rub off on the people around us. And they're going to say, hey, what, why are these people like this? And we get to say, because of Jesus. And that's when things start to change. That's my prayer for, for each and every one of us, uh, just that we take a step towards this. Again, I don't have it figured out. <laughs> I'm in process. I'm clinging to Jesus. That song, Lord, I Need You, has never been so like 
real and prevalent in my life. And there's not a moment that I'm not clinging to him, but I'm not doing it for nothing. I'm doing it because I believe and I know that he is the way and what he has for us is greater than what the world has for us, okay? And if we just pick up the key, we'll start to unlock some of those blessings. If you would, just every, uh, everybody close your eyes and bow your head for me. With every eye closed, every, every head bowed, I just, I just want to pray for us. And first, I just I want to pray, maybe if you're here today and you're uh, just, you would say, hey, you know what? <laughs> I need to put Jesus first. That's where I need to start. I got relational issues and I got stuff going on in this and that, but, but today my takeaway is I got to put Jesus first. And until I get that right, he can't help me with all the other stuff. If that's you today and you would just, just boldly make that confession on your own and you want to put up your hand, I just want to pray for you. I think there's power in, in making that declaration before God and allowing him to help you. So if that's you, go ahead and put up your hand. I need to put Jesus first. Jesus, I I just want to pray for my brothers and sisters with their hands up, mine included, God, who uh, one way or another, maybe we've never done it or maybe we used to do it and we've fallen away. God, I just pray for every person, God, in this room, Lord, that you would help us to put you first, that, that, that we would look at our relationship with you, God, and understand that what you have for us is so much better than what the world has for us and that your love is real and that it, that, that it is so, so big and so strong and so beautiful, God, that you want it to, to overwhelm us to the point that we pour it out on other people. God, I pray that truth, that reality of your love, of what you bought for us on the cross, what you accomplished, will become real and that would embolden, embolden us to, to step out and be who you're calling us to be this week. Father, I just, I also pray for everyone in this room, Lord, God, who needs, who needs some healing in their family, <laughs> God, who needs, who needs to strengthen relationships, healthier relationships in their family, God, I pray, I pray for those who, who want the kind of godly friendships that you lay out for us in scripture, the kind that, 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 that will transcend what the world has, Lord, and, and, and encourage and uplift and help build us up, God, I pray for every marriage in the room, Lord. For every, every, every couple that's dating or, or, or single person who is hoping to date or not sure if they're ready to date, God, I pray that you would help us all, Lord, to embrace this idea of being last so that we can step into who you're calling us to be. And that ultimately, Lord, in that sacrifice, we can receive the blessing that you have for each and every one of us. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, church. Come back next week, please. Next week, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about your purpose, how being last is the key to finding your, your purpose. And so please come back. I hope to see you next week. Have a great week. Love y'all.